Hi, Tim Kask here. Faced with a TPK and have no idea what to do? Well, you might have had you listened to Save or Die. You burst through the door. You find a small room filled with gold and jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or Die! Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your and Die Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> You're hilarious. Well, now Liz can call on Zach. <laughs> I will. <laughs> then I'll get it wrong. See, you watch. I'm set to set up. <laughs> Don't gem the email address. <laughs> wow. Whoa. <laughs> I got verbed. <laughs> Hi there. This is episode 101 of Save or Die. Mm-hmm. And today we have with us a special guest, Zach Glazar of Lesser Gnome. And he's here to tell us about his latest Kickstarter, Death and Taxes which I believe is in the same universe or campaign setting as the Whisper and Venom? It is. Um, it's designed to be real loose, so it could be used in any campaign. But yeah, it has a lot of small references, but they are not. it's not necessary to own both at all, by any means. Okay. So. And it's and, Glazer, by the way. Zach Glazer. Glazer. Oh. Okay. Woo-hoo! Somebody mispronounced the name, and it wasn't me. Well, Thank you for straightening us out right up yes, front. Tell us now. <laughs> Well, I actually thought of that, yeah. I heard the episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, with me today are DM Mike. Taco. And DM Jim. (laughs) Greetings, programs. And, as we mentioned, Zach. Lesser gnome himself. Or would that be the greater lesser gnome? No, my wife is the greater gnome. Lloyd Metcalf pointed that out. Oh, okay. (laughs) Good save. (laughs) <laughs> no, not a good save. It's actually true. Another good save. <laughs> <laughs> I made it easy to save that way, I guess. <laughs> and I forgot to introduce myself, but I am DM Liz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do this very often. <laughs> well, you're doing great. You're not under yeah, the influence yeah. of narcotics like Mike is this evening. <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> huh? Not enough Although narcotics. Although maybe I should be. <laughs> okay, so what did we all do in gaming this week? DM Jim. Oh, see, I, I was following the show notes that said Zach should go first. Did it? Ah, I yes, the don't... usual stories and banter, Zach first. Yeah, see, oh, I sh- okay. maybe I should be on narcotics because then I'd have an excuse. <laughs> what did I do in gaming this week? What did you do in gaming this week? Well, I did a lot of, about games. I didn't do a lot with games. So, <laughs> um, this week we're in the... Uh, second to last week of our, the Death and Taxes Kickstarter, and we're sitting as I speak at twelve thousand like seven thirty eight, and um, that is an incredible amount of work thinking about games, but more about making people pay attention to you in a large pool of people who have really great products. So 
Um, I did a lot of that. Uh, I've been sending out the first Sentinel to people who pre-ordered. I just finished those. And uh, other than that, uh, I, at night I read other role-playing game books and work on InDesign. So I have not actually rolled any dice for a couple of weeks, since not since mm-hmm. I saw you guys in Tyler, Texas, for the, the uh, game with Jim Ward. Oh, yeah. So. You were at the Tyler Rose City Comic Con. I was in the executive game room. <laughs> Which, Doug, was it Doug or Bad Mike who got it? It was Doug, I think, who it was Doug? The Okay, yeah. The fact you asked makes me it makes me laugh. Yeah, Doug who took care of it once he saw the small table, he went and <laughs> got that taken care of. So forget this. So no, I, I can't was... I can't game on this regular table. I need executive boardroom table. <laughs> it was a pretty dinky little table, but but oh. you know, to be fair, pretty much all of the tables in that little gaming space were were not that big. Um. It was a good con, do not get me wrong, but they had more people than they had space for, and Again. so we were we were very crammed together, and we got the numbers from the guy who runs it, and they doubled their attendance from the first year last year. 3,000 to 6,000. So, they yeah. Probably, even, probably put the word out that you were going to be there in your corset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So they they went to a much larger venue than they had their first year. But even so, it was not big enough for the just huge growth that they had from one year to the next. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, you were in the Jim Ward game, and I think Friday night you guys were up there playing Gladiator, and I don't even know what else. <laughs> and then Circus Maximus on Saturday. Uh, it was a. Uh, it basically. I think that Doug Ray's wonderful life. Linda was gone for the weekend, and it became just Mike and I going to Mike and I and his brother, and it just Jim was going to be there, and it became kind of like a NTRPG con on the move. Um, <laughs> we, you know, now you guys there, but it was it was a lot of fun. I'd never been to a comic convention before, and the costumes kind of like wow, people really do dress up. Yeah, so, there oh, yeah. was some good. There was costumes. a lot of cosplay there. There was, and uh, there was. It was just so crowded. I would I would have shopped and spent a lot of money because I like to spend money at conventions. I can't help myself. It was like an addiction, but I couldn't stop at any of the booths because yeah, there were so I, many people pushing me by. I felt like it was like the market in Marrakesh. You know, yeah, <laughs> so, um, you you could not stop. Otherwise, you backed up. You know, floor traffic behind you. There was no room to get around. You know, you had one line of people going one way and another line right crammed next to you going the opposite way. And that was it. <laughs> well, as a guy who's trying to, you know, publish things in a nerd industry, seeing other nerd industries grow like that and be that popular it makes my heart sing. But it really, yeah. as an older person, I was tired and I couldn't, like, maneuver through the, the tiny little hallways. And so I was like, if I had paid just to go to the con, I would have been like, I think I'm too old. I just yeah. would have <laughs> felt right. So, well, but it worked out because really Doug's too- older than me and got a room. So, yeah, <laughs> it's really too bad you guys couldn't stay longer on Sunday because the crowds had thinned out on that second day to the point where you could actually stop and do things then. Oh, you're gonna ruin yeah, it for that- me now. Now I'm sorry I left. See, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have left. You should have stayed. <laughs> yeah, well, bad, Mike, bad Mike's fault. It usually always is, right? Yeah, when I I discovered my um steampunk victorian seminar was going to be scheduled at 5 p.m on sunday i was kind of Mm. annoyed because i'm like who stays after 5 p.m on a sunday at a con right i had apparently a lot of people i had almost 20 people (laughs) that's awesome that is awesome 
Yeah, I was like, it's like really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Were they all and dressed then, up? Uh, we weren't dressed up on su- on mm. Sunday. Yeah, we. Liz said, "I'm not doing that again for another day," and that, I said, "Okay, that's fine. that." That corset gets very painful after you've been wearing it for several hours, and you know, I did the quote unquote booth babe thing all day Saturday. And then Sunday came. It's like, nah, I'm just wearing blue jeans. <laughs> I don't think I can do it again. Yeah. Dude, I'm that's so- a problem. That's a problem I don't have when I ran a booth at GarrettCon and GCon. I had not make that decision. So <laughs> yeah. I, I feel for you. You have a harder job than me, Liz. Uh, I, I'm sure you would all look very wonderful in course. Stop right there. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I heartily suggest that every single one of you should try it. <laughs> I have no idea what you went through because my Halloween costume involved just a Victorian waistcoat and some boot gaiters, and it took me like 20 minutes to get those on and off. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, she did look good in it, so that's the important thing. Better to look good. Of course, right. Is the game any good, too? No, I'm just (laughs) – No, I'm I'm excited about your game, by the way. So I'm real excited about your game. I don't know a lot about steampunk, but – I'm really fascinated by the setting, so I'm looking forward to that a lot. So Okay, well, thanks. It's exactly oh. like that movie, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, except Mike's game doesn't suck. Oh, <laughs> well, well, I'm well. glad you clarified that part. <laughs> so what did you do in gaming this week, Jim? You oh. are no longer first. Ha, couldn't weasel out of it anymore. Um, uh, mostly getting ready to go to Yukon next week, which is a uh, game convention in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Uh, that has added an OSR track. So uh, Doug Kovacs and I'll be up there waving the Goodman Games flag. Uh, Tim Snyder will be there for Goblinoid Games. And just uh, I'll be running uh, what I've been working on all this weekend, a couple of playtests of the revised Mutant Crawl Classics RPG yeah. rules. Weren't you at that convention last year? Because I, I remember you mentioning Ypsilanti before, or you were doing something there. No, it's just been coming a long time. I, this okay. is the first time I'm attending, and they invited me as a guest. So there, there you go. If you want me at your convention, just invite me as a special guest, and I'll show up. Hey, <laughs> that's that's why we show up a lot. But, uh, <laughs> we the, get him free. Okay, yeah, we'll, yeah, we're there. We'll do it. <laughs> is, is everybody in a nice, calm state? In addition to that, I played some classic D and D. Ooh. Oh my God! Somebody on a podcast actually played what we cover on the podcast. <laughs> on a podcast about classic D and D, that's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Had to happen eventually. <laughs> um, Tim Cask last weekend ran a uh, game, for, an O D and D game for a charity event, for, uh, some kids' charity. I can't think of the name of it. We raised like two hundred forty bucks, so it was like paid seating to cool. be at this game, and uh, it was it was awesome. Tim, 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 I'm like, you know, I've played under Tim before, so I'm there loaded for whatever, but Tim started out the adventure with, this was the adventure I ran at GaryCon 1 before Eldritch Enterprises, and all my partners made me start tempering my adventures down. I'm like, oh, crap, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Uh, the, our task as a group, we all have like seventh level characters. Uh, we were hired by a noble, uh, the Duke Ernst Ovum. To whose five children had been kidnapped, and we were to go get, try and rescue Ernie, Heidi, Elise, Cindy, and little Luke from these guys out of this dungeon. These names sound familiar. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Yeah. Were there a lot of pole arms involved? It was brutal. We only made (laughs) we, we only made it back with the girls. Ernie had already been eaten by trolls before we got there. 
and we got down into the basement of this dungeon, and little Luke had been brainwashed or mind-controlled and thought he was Melf the Elf and was sitting on this island uh, in the middle of a lake popping us five times around with a magic crossbow. So he had to die. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luke. <laughs> the mercy killing. <laughs> so nine of us went in and four of us got out with uh, three of the kids. <laughs> They're like, okay, we're, we're we're making a break for it. We're Three just out like, of five ain't bad. <laughs> it was like uh, in Animal House after they kill the horse in Dean Wormer's office. We're just fleeing this thing because Luke picked off half the party before we nailed him. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, well, we grab him. And like, which one do you grab? I'm like, don't know. I don't know. Give me a redhead. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I actually played some classic D&D. Cool. Fantastic. Cool. So what did you do in gaming this week, Mike? Taco. <laughs> Actually, it's true because it was our 2E game. <laughs> um, we finally finished Temple of Existential Evil. Yay. Finally. Well, you've been finally. finally finishing it for like a month now. Yeah, yes, but well, we finally, finally finished it. <laughs> at 4.50, we played till 5. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't we just hold it there? And he's like, well, why, what, if you play a little more, you could end the campaign. Like, how much longer? 10 minutes, like, bull. Bull, we are not going to play 10 more minutes and end the campaign. And I was right. Try 40 minutes. <laughs> and I think he, he nerfed the beholder we ran into. Though, to be fair, the paladin did do a critical nat 20 hit on the center eye, which probably saved our bacon majorly. But it's over. Thank God. Now we'll probably be doing some weird spell jammer stuff. Although there are some stories that we really should have mentioned in prior episodes that we didn't. Liz, would you like the Halfling Rider story? <clears throat> okay, so a couple of game sessions back when we're still going through the temple. At one point, we've been ambushed by this group of people who we were trying to play them and pretend that we were high muckety-mucks in the temple. And they were trying to play us by pretending that they believed us, and they were going to lead us into this area where they would ambush us. Well, we had heard movement in one of the side corridors just beforehand, and so, so we weren't surprised. But um, first, they released these velociraptors some at us. giants came out with some velociraptors on chains yeah they release the chains and just give the command attack and so one of the velociraptors immediately turns and attacks one of the hill giants that released it so <laughs> and starts tearing through the cultists <laughs> so one of the velociraptors is going on its own group while we're de dealing with the other one. And that was bizarre enough already. You know, we're starting to play the Benny Hill music in the background. <laughs> so then, at the climactic moment of the battle, suddenly, out of nowhere, comes... A door slams open. Oh, it's the door again. It came back. Uh, no, oh. no, even better. <laughs> we were waiting for that, but no, no. A door slams open, and our DM describes to us a halfling spellcaster rides in on a giant creature that looks like a cross between a duck and a gorilla. 
Wow. And <laughs> See, in my game, that would be no big deal, but <laughs> in like D&D... You could, hear, you could hear the sound effect in the back of the record be- player, you know, the needle getting... Because everybody at the what? table just kind of stops and looks at him like, he's writing a what? <laughs> it's like a giant platypus-looking thing running in a room. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a platypus gorilla thing. and A platatang. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's halfling on a saddle behind his shoulders and like flinging spells. Wow. There's something you don't see every day. <laughs> I need to up my game on a creature creation, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I have never played with DM Chase, but I will take the next opportunity I get. <laughs> Come down and visit and we can certainly pencil you in on a on a weekend. <laughs> but yeah, the the campaign's over. And I'm having to convince everyone in my party that my elven fighter magic user is not turning evil just because she has a bag of bones that allows her to summon skeletal monsters out of and a giant 20-foot-tall spider that's her figurine of wondrous power. She's not evil. I'm, I'm not hearing evil. I'm hearing a magic user getting the job done. Well, and first, I can't use the skeletons because Liz's character and the paladin are really big anti-undeads. So I got to wait till they're in another room or something and then pull. And whatever bone I put in, the skeleton will come out as that. So I got like some blue dragon teeth and put in there. So I pull out a skeleton blue dragon. And then somebody immediately tried to turn it. Because I didn't know where it came from, and it's undead. Yell at me. (laughs) I'll see. I mean, wait till they just get down to a few hit points, and nobody's fussy about alignments when they're hanging on to a couple of hit points. Yeah, speaking of which, the paladin player always gives me hell, always insists I'm turning evil. My character, he's actually asked for a copy of the character because he's playing a game called what do you call it? Pony Finder? Pony Finder. It's Pathfinder in the world of My Little Pony. Ah! No, no, no. La, 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 la. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't <laughs> hear that. I'm just the same thing. Like, please, brain. <laughs> I, yeah. And I need to restart. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. he stole my character and wants to make her the like a big villain there. And it's like, wow, that's My Little Pony. Yeah. Okay. And they're going, well, but you see, it's actually really intricate. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. Uh, but anyway, I'm arguing with him because we accidentally fireballed the temple and killed the guy who was the sacrifice on the altar. So I'm like, well, we need to scrape him into the portable hole so maybe when we get out we can cast a raised dead on him because we accidentally killed him. And the paladin's going, no, it'll mess up the interior of our portable hole with all that ash and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd just like to point He's out still a paladin that I- too? Wow. Yeah, and I I said at the table, I'd just like to point out that my allegedly evil elf is arguing with the lawful good paladin about trying to save a helpless, innocent victim. Yeah, but apparently that doesn't matter, so anyway. (laughs) At least you're not bitter. But I'm not bitter, that's right. Not bitter. Not bitter at all. But, uh, so, that's our big game. Um, I, of course, ran victorious at the con, and that was kind of interesting. Uh, I think everybody had a good time, especially when they dealt with Mad Monocle Michael, a character which they created as a joke on the Gagman podcast when they were doing my, uh, when they were building a 
adventure oh, for my game. He's in the module. I've got the module. Is, okay. Um, I know that in the back, they we we suggested that they put in a cutout monocle for the, for the people who have the module. They can cut it out and wear it themselves. But I didn't know they actually had Mad Monocle in it. Didn't they have like a cutout mustache too? Yeah, yep. there was a yep. cutout mustache as well. Yeah. So I guess it's the Victorian equivalent of glasses and must you know the Groucho Marx stuff. But. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that was fun. Even though Jim Warden and his party chased us away from the table early, and well, then went and, <laughs> and, and immediately left and go upstairs to the executive boardroom. I heard a rumor that you guys survived one of his games for the first time. Uh, we didn't uh, get to play in his game, or at least Mike and I did. I think he was asking but... Zach. Ah. Uh, well, uh, survived is kind of a that's a stretch. Um, we didn't we we had the Goodman games. We had the bands because I we were three of us were in the Kickstarter, and I was not going to pass out the opportunity. And uh, actually, poor Jim. Every time that something looked like grave, I'm like, you know, I'm going to call Joe, I'm going to tweet Joe Goodman and say these bands were expensive, and all that happened to me is I died again. But he, <laughs> yeah. he, he said if we made it five thirty, we get one of those uh, Spellfire cards, and I finally got a Spellfire card that I didn't find on the ground. And so I feel like my life is now complete. More or less, yes, survived. <laughs> More or less. There, 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 there is nothing too underhanded to just get one win in the I Survived a Jim Ward column. I mean, Mike, Curtis, and I at two North Texas Acons were sitting at the table, and we're watching our watches going, okay, there's 45 minutes left. We can just screw around and run the clock out on this one and survive. <laughs> no, and the, the worst part of it was he, it's like he knew because – we were playing Circus Maximus and talking about it, and then all of a sudden there's a, this giant room in a spaceship full of chariots just asking to be jumped on and used. <laughs> and I'm like, it's 5.15, he said 5.30, so I'm like, I can't. I just can't do it. And then, luckily, so many times I had to tap myself because I needed that Spellfire card, so I quit worrying about surviving his game. So I feel better now. I'm much better, even with the chariots that would have killed me. So. Yeah, I... I don't remember where he was first called that, but Jim Ward, we shared a table with Jim Ward again, and he was complaining about being referred to in the con as the godfather of role-playing. Yeah, they mentioned it over the PA system when they yeah. were telling people you know, about, I think it was about your guy's panel that morning. He's like, yeah. Yeah, Jim Ward, the godfather of role-playing. You know? He's <laughs> like, I'm not the godfather. And I said, look, Jim, you're an older gentleman. You kill people, and you like spaghetti. You do like spaghetti, right? Well, yeah. Okay, you're the godfather. <laughs> I don't kill people. I give it, them circumstances mm -hmm. to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we all heard that. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. I love Jim Ward like a brother, and we've been friends for over a decade, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh you have to beep yourself there. Yeah, I have to beep myself there. <laughs> I thought you beeped him live. That's, that's, you have to do it afterwards? Oh. Yeah, it's it's yeah. dubbed in afterwards. That'd be more for, his, more of a fun game if you could do it live. It's his power powers. He can <laughs> use it. Yeah, we're not on a seven second delay on this podcast. We're on a I edit it later <laughs> delay. Yeah, and so, hopefully he I know. I still would be fun though if you had a button just to, you know, it's kind of a mute button sort of in a way. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so I guess we should go to emails. Get down, get down, get down, get down. The, the save, save or die. die. Email Hot, Hot Tub, Tub Time Machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week, I hope that it's from a female. Oh, man. The following emails have been edited for length and content. 
And we, we do have, actually have emails. emails. We do. We do. Our first email is from Aaron Smale. Why do and, I remember that name? <laughs> yeah. And Aaron writes, I must protest the egregious mispronunciation of my name in episode 96. DM Jim has insulted my honor, and I demand satisfaction. That's why the name seems familiar. (laughs) For the record, because I will be listening, my first name is Aaron, not Ernie, and though it's how girls spell it, I'm a dude. (laughs) My last name is Smale, pronounced like male, with an S in front. I'm going to describe a classic D&D project in a minute. And unless DM Jim agrees to contribute to it, I shall demand a duel at dawn, with dice ready to roll. We might as well duel now. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm booked. I mean, I could get to something, you know, when my schedule clears up in 2016. When my honor isn't being insulted, I run the Briarc.org website, which is chock full of content for classic D&D, Basic Expert, the Rules Cyclopedia, and, most recently, the Swords and Wizardry Retro Clone, which is my new favorite. Greg McKenzie of BusyGameMaster.com and I just started Project on the Borderlands at Briarc.org. The project is a collection of new background, encounters, and related material that expands the classic B2 module, Keep on the Borderlands, into a larger campaign. Interested parties can go to briarc.org and enter KOTB in the search box. As a side note, anyone interested in contributing can reach me via email at esmale at w-e-l-s-h-p-i-p-e-r dot com. Well, Subject- send, your, send your email to esmail. subject line k-o-t-b thanks for the great podcast i really enjoy your commentary i'm most impressed keep it up sod people cheers ernie (laughs) smalley i mean i can only apologize i mispronounce everything it's chronic i can't help it but yeah that project on the borderlands every every time i go by it it's like i really need to submit something to that um it sounds yeah. cool as all hell. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll make that one of my New Year's. Although at this point, you know, <laughs> depending on how old that email is, it may already be finished. Well, well but, look, either way, hey, it's going to be in the show notes. Keep, keep looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our next email is from J.V. West. J.V. And he writes, Another subject that has been on my mind of late is how to reinforce good role-playing. I've always been on the fence about these types of rules. I support the concept and the intention, but I find that such meta-rules often detract from immersion. But I do know players who really love such rules, and some games have creative ways of handling it. For example, the game QUAGS uses candy as currency. If you do something cool, you get a piece of candy. You can later give it to other players or spend it to get perks in game, such as bonuses to hit and such. That would of course, never you can. <laughs> of course, you can also eat it, <laughs> which is far more likely. <laughs> what are your thoughts about including role playing, encouraging house rules in D anD? d Thanks, and keep rolling twenties, JV West. I do agree with you. It's 
a good idea that I support, depending on what the rule is, it can get a little distracting. I kind of like how Mike used to handle it, as opposed to encouraging role-playing within each game session when we would first create our characters for his game. He highly encouraged us to fill out a backstory um, sheet that he would give all of us. And basically, we would answer questions about our character, such as, you know, where they come from, what kind of family, you know, are they an orphan, do they have brothers and sisters, yada, yada, yada. And after having made us think about our character in that much detail right before we even start, um, usually, not always, but generally, you're more likely to role-play that character because you've had more of an idea, you know, really in-depth of this is who I'm playing. You know, he's not just Bob the fighter. He's Bob the fighter who came from a small farm and went out to seek his fortune and, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah. Although you have to be careful because if you put a lot of work into Bob the Fighter, Bob the Fighter dies, you're kind of like, well, crap, I did all that. That's why I usually gave people up till about third level or so to fill out the form. Then Julie the Thief comes along, Bob's younger sister, and she's (laughs) coming out to avenge her brother's death. (laughs) I don't know if it's the same thing, but Harley Stroh and some of us have been talking a lot recently about uh, encouraging uh, emergent role play. Is this? Have you heard of that term? Emergent. Yeah, oh. where where you construct the uh, the encounter or the scenario in such a way to encourage role playing. And I stump. I it was my intention to do this, but I was kind of surprised the results. I stumbled across one in the tournament I wrote uh, that we ran a couple weeks ago, where you you stop me, Liz, when you recognize the Star Trek episode I ripped this off from. The uh, players come into this uh, crypt. That's nothing but shelves lined with glass jars and a big glass jar on a pedestal in the middle of the room that's lit up. And all the other jars are dark, except there's two that just glow a little bit. (laughs) And the first player that runs up and grabs the big glass jar gets possessed by an elder god from a pantheon that was defeated in a god war centuries before. And I had no fear. Sargon Sargon is is here. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And, uh, I had a little, like, one-paragraph description of what that god's goals were, and I I mean, you never saw such role-playing coming out of nowhere. I mean, I got this shy little 12-year-old kid who was playing at the table, who was playing the uh, Hanok character, to, to stand, to physically stand behind an adult player who was playing Thargon and, and, and tell me he was going to stab him in the back. Wow. <laughs> And, you know, they killed a couple of players, but then the whole thing just took, went off the rails where, I mean, it's a tournament and they're supposed to just go through one scenario to the next. And they spent like an hour and a half in that room having discussions over who was going to follow the new gods and who didn't want to. And it, it just turned into role playing. <laughs> yeah. So a, a carefully crafted scenario can draw that out. Very true. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty cool about that. Um, as far as the actual rules to encourage role playing... I don't see a problem with something to give a little Benny, but as someone, Sarah, writes a little later, you can run into a position to where in your campaign, one or two people are getting all the Bennies all the time. Hmm. And that can kind of throw things off. I personally think the Benny she described was a bit too high, but we'll get to that, I guess. But, you know, a little 
a little something like you know an extra 100 xp or you know a free mulligan or something you know that sort of thing i don't have a problem with yeah. on the other hand you have like i've said before you've got to you know pay attention to your group because if you got a whole bunch of people who just want to kill you know murder hobos who want to go kill stuff and check their spleens for emeralds then you know you're you're just going to annoy them if you try to put the squeeze role playing squeeze on them check the spleens for emeralds see <laughs> what, what scares me is that that's probably didn't just make that up. That probably happened sometime. That's awesome. Oh no! Oh, yeah. we, we, I mean, we, we, Mike used to do it in the campaign we all played in. Yeah, yeah. It's like I, eh. I, I want to be surprised, I guess, but I'm not that surprised. Well, I him. generally didn't do it to bipedal humanoids. Generally, <laughs> generally, okay. Well, but generally, that's a weasel is, word. <laughs> in, in classic D and D, though, there was always you know some percentage chance that if you cut open the stomach of a monster, there would be some kind of treasure inside because it, you know, ate it after eating the last hapless. You know, like purple worms came. or that sort of thing. And yeah. and so you would get. You know, people who would start getting into the habit of, okay, I've killed the manticore. Now I'm gutting it to see if there's a, you know, a bag of gold inside of it or something. <laughs> you know, like the thief who doesn't move anywhere in the dungeon without checking for a trap every mm-hmm. single location. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have the same thing. I have some solid advice based on actual psychology. Do you want to hear it? Oh, sure. Okay, like at your job. Whatever job you work at, which means more to you, uh, a raise in pay or something that transpires that gives you job satisfaction and you feel appreciated. One means way more to almost everybody than the other. So that's the way you dole out these rewards. You think of them as, as metaphoric stars, not actual physical, here's gold, here's XP. You, you know, I mean, it can just be a, a, whatever you want it to be. Something that has absolutely no physical value but gives the person a perk. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. But, you know, and again, I say, you know, if you've got people that just are not interested in the – although, like some people have written in and we've talked before, you know, there is a difference between role-playing and talking in first person. So one does not necessarily insist on the other. You can still role-play while saying my character does blah or says blah. Well, that's why I suggested the, the, the approach I suggested because if that if if somebody some people just can't do it or don't want to or they're not comfortable doing it right. so they're, if the person's not getting a physical reward like gold or XP then that person they're getting just you know literally a little gold sticker on their sheet or something the other person's not get not sitting there feeling gypped because they don't want to role play. I have a small bit of advice for how I'd reward that. Mm. I would I would just actually take experience points away every time they touch the phone. Um, it's, <laughs> You know, and and I, that's because I was a classroom teacher for a year for high school students, and I just—they're like a poison for interaction with people face to face. But overall, though, I just think if you're in a group, I—I'd I, be surprised at how many people that I personally know that would really have to milk this to force people to role play. I don't know. That surprises yeah. me. Yeah, in the end, it is a role playing game, but yes, yeah, it is. I mean, uh, yeah. hope that helped. Uh. <laughs> okay. Our next email is from Sarah Chavez-Daviz, and she writes, I would like to add in a comment about the rewards of role-playing you guys were talking about in episode 94. As if on cue. <laughs> we, used to ha- we used to, as a group, reward the players who did the best role-playing with additional XP. 
We had to stop when it became obvious that only two were getting the XP 90% of the time, leading to power disparities. 500 XP per session may not sound like much, but when you're talking about 50k, that can easily mean a level. As a suggestion, a dwarf could be an adventurer looking for new places to mine as an idea for a reason for traveling, perhaps a mine scout. An argument I would make for no overarching race as class is adventurers by definition are the outcast weirdos, so they should be individualized. And speaking of assassins, if the assassin was the party leader with his associates enabling him by providing distractions, that would work in some cases. How about if some Furiandi nobles hired an assassin to take down the Temple of Elemental Evil leaders? He might have to provide proof of involvement and proof of death, but it still could be an interesting way to lead a party by the nose through a series of adventures. If you wanted to use the thief-catcher concept, there is a detective class presented in early White Wolf, sub-100s if I recall correctly. I found it in one of the best of, the one that collected the complete city, a rare find I no longer possess, but with some interesting abilities probably based off of assassins, disguises, etc. It is 1E, but that would hardly stop you guys. Sarah. Because nothing stops us. Nothing! <laughs> well, thanks, Sarah. Um, she hit on, I think, several topics we've covered in the past there. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I've ever been in a game where they would give 500 XP at a pop for good role-playing. Well, Unless maybe it was try. really high level, maybe? I do know Chase. He doesn't do it always. But every once in a while, if one of us does something that he deems to be you know, very good role-playing and in-character for, you know, who we're supposed to be. He will, you know, just arbitrarily give out an XP bonus, you know, yeah, in the middle of the game session. Well, yeah, um, but it's usually like 50 or 100, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not 500. When we were teenagers, my brother used to give us a level for our birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that Don't say I ever gave you anything. <laughs> That's what I want for my anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, um, so he would do that, but it wouldn't be every single session. And you're never sure when you're going to get one, which I think is also kind of a good thing to do if you're wanting to use experience as reward. Um, you don't want people to get to where I expect my experience bonus because I did this. You know, you're never sure when you're going to get it, so you're always trying. Although that being said, I don't think it entirely invalidates her argument no um, no um again if you only have the one or two people who are doing it it will eventually add up yeah and i suspect that that's probably a party that no matter what the dm does he's probably only going to get one or two people role-playing some, um, some of this is hard to even you know talk about in a concrete way because it'll vary so much from table to table and player to player because yeah. we're, what we're really talking about is how do you dm your group well I, unless i know your group i can't really tell you specifically if right. they keep coming back to the table every week you're doing a good job mm -hmm. if if two of them are you know xp hogs and the other two are honked off because they got bonus xps you might want to attack your sales yeah uh, um as for the assassin thing all i have to say is yeah, that would be good, again, for one adventure, but eventually that assassin's going to decide that his distraction 
flunkies are expendable. <laughs> and the other players may not feel that way about their characters. Well, so, I mean, it's just basic math. Who provides the better distraction? The guy who's screaming because his throat just got slit. That's a great distraction. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. That, that's, wow. Just, that's just a one-off, though. <laughs> you can only you do that once unless so. you're going to raise dead a lot. And <laughs> I've only played a con game with him a couple times, but now I know to be careful. Wow. <laughs> Just don't that, get in, don't get in my firing solution. There won't be a problem. Yeah, stay away from anything flammable, and you'll be fine. Okie dokie. I hope that helps, Sarah. <laughs> I hope it helped too, and that you're not too disturbed at us now. <laughs> we can be ruthless. Our final email is from Alexander Davis, and yeah. Alexander writes: How about for seeking other old school players? Getting business cards with a fairly safe slash disposable email address and other information like favored games in order to turn random encounters on the street into lifelong friends. <laughs> Who, which which one of the po- – I, I don't know if it was Crispy. Somebody that used to be on either RFI or Save or Die drives around in a car that's just plastered with gaming paraphernalia. Like not just bumper stickers but like dice glued onto the fenders. That sounds like Crispy. Because yeah. this was like two or three years ago. It was before I was on the show. And he was always on Facebook with, and I met another gamer today. And it's like, well, small wonder. I mean, look at your car. <laughs> <laughs> the gamer mobile. Well, you can get some fairly inexpensive business cards from several places online if you wanted to do that. And a Gmail address. Um, I mean, it's going to say, as far as just handing them out to random people on the street, I'm too introverted to do that. That would not work for me. Um, Happening to leave some of those business cards just laying around on empty game tables at my local game store or comic book shop, I could do that. Um, I do most of that through social media. So I was trying to think of, okay, when would this idea be good for me? And this would be the perfect thing to have at, like, uh, Gen Con. Yeah, Yeah, I was just going to say conventions. Yeah, if you were going to do open gaming at a particular time, you could have little business cards made and put them out on those front tables where people leave the stacks of flyers and stuff. And, you know, maybe people will run across your card and see, oh, hey, there's going to be an open gaming for, you know, basic expert on Saturday at 2 p.m. I'm not signed up for anything then. I'm going to go and look for them. Mm -hmm. I recommend free metal gnomes. Um, yes, I actually, <laughs> yes. I actually, I was in a game store and uh, just two days ago, and someone was looking at Reaper miniatures, and they're like, "Oh, it's look, it's a gnome mage." And I'm like, "I'll be down." I had my pocket. I had a Thopus mini, and I'm like, "You know what?" It's like, here. you can have one of these. Don't tell the don't tell the owners I gave it to you, but here's this, and here's my card. We're running a Kickstarter, and I was, I was like, I felt terrible, but the chain was sold for motion. But it's like God Himself put it in front of me, like you have to give this lady that gnome. So, <laughs> I've been through she thousands of them. People pay attention to them, so that's why I recommend. Hey, you got to be careful though. That that'll fly in a game store. If you do that near a playground, you're getting arrested. Yeah, well, I, I, I learned I learned from you not to do that. How's that? Okay. <laughs> Dealing in illicit gnomes. Oh, God, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a game store that used to be here in Denton several years ago that used to have a big notebook. And you could go in, put your name and contact info and what kind of games you were interested in. And I guess with you know 
the ubiquity of social media now probably don't do that anymore. But, you know, we always did that and put down, you know, old school games and stuff. But at that time, it was just at the very emergence of 3E. So it was hard to find anyone who admitted they played prior games, it seemed, at least in this area. I don't have a game store within 90 miles of me. So I, all of this just seems foreign. I grew up here with, you could buy Dungeons and Dragons in one place and they had the same, same two modules. But I can remember they would do the same signups in the bigger, in Phoenix near me. And uh, I was there for six weeks one time. I signed up and I was so excited. And then the two days before I left town, you know, for the rest of the year, they call and like, we found oh, you a man. group. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it was heartbreaking to my 11 year old self who had nothing else to look forward to. So maybe I'm bitter about those lists. But I was going to say meetup.com if they do any internet stuff. Yep. A lot of people use yep. meetup for groups. So quite true. Although, you know, the card thing is a good idea if you want to, you know, set up a front Gmail account or something and pronounce some cards. It's really inexpensive, like Vistaprint and stuff, but. I I don't know. You're right. The game store is okay, but here's a card with a gnome on it. My name is Zach, and I'd like to play a game with you. I don't know if it would work that well for me. So. <laughs> and for God's sakes, don't hand them out with drow on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hey, hey oh. kid, you want a mini? First one's free. <laughs> That's right. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, see, that would work. I could hand out Zach Glazer's business card with a mini anywhere I want. <laughs> <laughs> Contact this guy. <laughs> Give him Mike Badalato's phone number. So yeah, <laughs> you sent me a whole blister of topuses, and I swear on my mother's grave, they saw me get those at work, and everybody, there's not a gamer in sight except for my brother. Like, ooh, those are nice. Those are nice. So I started handing them out for like once a month for special rewards. Somebody was really, really nice to me. I'm like, okay, here you can have a gnome. So. Encouraging emergent role play in the workplace at a medical device company. <laughs> yeah, we got three or four of them somehow, and we're like, you know, what are we going to do with this unless, you hey, know, it's we put mirror no image or casting mirror image? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, haha, he casts mirror image, and now suddenly there's five of them there. It's like, ha, ah, what are you going to do now? You know, <laughs> if, you need a, if you need a lot of mirror image spells, let me know because I have plenty of gnomes. But <laughs> yeah. No, but it, the, uh, it's funny because what do I need these, all these gnomes for? And then some same people will call me back. Like, took them three or four. Everybody took my gnomes. Do you still have a gnome? Like, yes. I, in fact, I do. <laughs> Life gets strange. That's what I'm known for now. You so. ever going to make a mini for his familiar? <laughs> uh, we did. It was a Kickstarter exclusive one. Ah. Oh, okay. For the little sylph. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, Topus is a popular guy. Many people aren't sure why, but he is. But he is. <laughs> He's uh, just got he, that certain he knows special why. something. <laughs> and that's all that matters? That's all that matters to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. And so, if anyone else wants to send us an email, where would they want to send it to? Zach! <laughs> SaverDiePodcast at gmail.com. All Woo-hoo. right. <laughs> Hire that dude. He can do it better uh, than me. We- we, we should hire him, yes. Yeah. And, I hear the pay's great. <laughs> and a voicemail? Yes, and if anyone wanted to send us a voicemail, what number should they call Mike? 940-536-3763. Threesod. Dude, I'm, I'm going to save that clip of Zach saying the email, and every time you ask me from now on, I'm just going <laughs> to edit that in, or suddenly it'll be Zach's voice. I, I think that would be... Cool. Although he might start asking for residuals of some kind. <laughs> yeah, I'll take ten percent of your, what your take is. How's that? 
that sounds Deal. fantastic. That sounds fair. Yeah. Let's bump, as a matter of fact, let's bump it up to to thirty percent of what we yeah. take. You're so generous. Plus five hundred XP, extra good role playing bonus. Woo! Ooh, well, I'm in. <laughs> and a level of my birthday. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now it really is time for game on. What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Game on! Game on! Game on! And for this section of Game On, we are going to be interviewing Zach about his Kickstarter, and he will tell us all about what we can expect with death and taxes once we can finally get it in our hot little hands. Um, that was it coming out of the crypt right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Topus was okay. coming in. Yeah, well, huh. Um, death and taxes is uh, – when we did Whisper and Venom, um, originally did Whisper and Venom, I designed it because uh, I was going to release it for free on Dragon's Foot because I thought that was the coolest thing that could ever happen. And um, I wrote the module, you know, in my house by myself, and I was all proud. Like, well, I finally wrote the module I wanted to write since I was 11 when I got the self-addressed stamped envelope from Dungeon Magazine. And uh, But then Kickstarter, I, I noticed Kickstarter, and I thought, you know, I just love boxes. I'd like to do that. And... It, it everything happened and he did really well and because we was successful enough that we could do another one basically we did it's uh, John and I are both writing it again and all the same uh, people who helped us make Whisper and Venom what it was are doing uh, the cartography against Alyssa and then Lloyd's doing the art and it's another product bias it's not a sequel to like Whisper and Venom it's not a it sits in the same world, but once again, like Whisper and Venom was intended to be, you may drop this area in like, kind of anywhere. We didn't have a special race of dwarves that you had to follow with, or our sky wasn't pink. You know, it wasn't a specific to anything that mattered to the story, so you could use it for your own game. Because in the Huzzah. end, the whole point, it, well, the whole point in the end was to make an enjoyable experience that is shared. And so... In that nature, death and taxes will reference, you know, very vaguely, the immediately neighboring area where the Whisper Veil was and Whisper and Venom. But it's a whole different, um, like, well, we're going there, and then Topus is going to do this, and then you guys got to go and refind out what happened before. No, it's actually it's a, a different area with a whole different set of problems. That we, we think they're interesting. They lend themselves for the uh, GMs to decide, well, that's interesting enough. I think I'll follow through with that, and there'll be a... An area that's statted out like the monastery was in Whisper and Venom and story hooks and NPCs just like before, but it's not reliant on anything except for, you know, a GM and players, I hope. So just like, I mean, really old school back in the early 80s, late 70s, like Expedition to Barrier Peaks takes place technically in the Barrier Peaks in Greyhawk, but the module's not written that way. You dump the Barrier Peaks right in the middle of your campaign. No, exactly. And, you know, it, to me, it I was so excited when I wrote it that I really wanted anybody to read it besides me 
And I thought the one way to guarantee it really doesn't get much attention is to, I was, look at me because we have, there's a certain kind of walking land creature that's like a buffalo. And I didn't have anything that made it stand out like that. I wanted it to fit pretty seamlessly in a, you know, general westernized fantasy campaign that most, the most people play without any effort on the GM. Who wants to be GM, pay a bunch of money for a product and then do a lot of work. <laughs> and yeah, that kind of defeats a purpose. It does. And you know, the things that we cared about the most in the product was that, you know, it was readable. It was fun for the GM to read because GMs do a lot of work. Some products should actually be enjoyable to them too, with them in mind. And it had to, you know, make sense, but have no railroady solution and no must have thing happen. So death and taxes is basically, we got the band back together to do it again, but it's the setting. The setting is a little bit different because it's you know further away. The actual place you're going is not a dungeon down necessarily. It's new things, and it brings in a little element of um, change in the area. But the change is a little more uh, energized. It's not like a slow corruption. No one knows what's like going on with it. It's there's an activity. Someone's claiming authority, and they have the paperwork they claim to prove it, and they're they're basically uh, messing with people's lives who are pretty stable and they're generally happy and everything kind of goes south, but that's the setup. And at that point, the priority comes in and you really can do anything from that you like, but that's how the setting exists when you see it. So, and it's going to be a box. It's going to have a map by Alyssa Faden again, a big one. And I just got an email from her before the show started and she's making sure that it's almost, uh, she's upping the, uh, resolution. So the map can indeed now be bigger than the Greyhawk map. So 44 by, <laughs> 48 Ooh, and uh wow i love maps and solicit so just is, it's basically whatever she wants to do i'm like yes please bigger <laughs> sure you know and i had well, a pretty you canvas. say so you know. So, you know i'd be honest but highest quality inputs that you can get make it i don't know to me it's a, an enjoyable product because mm-hmm. you pick it up you they gave me a significant amount of money to make the best that i could for whisper and venom and i want to do it again and so maps by Alyssa. Uh, some of the same sculptors we used before for the miniatures that will be unlocked. We have people who are that worked with us before to pr- proofreading. The same people who proofread are going to be doing that again, and it feels like I, I think I'm getting the hang of part of this, so I don't kill myself trying to you know do layoffs four weeks in a row. The flip side of it is with that, I we were able to really concentrate on making sure that it gets to the backers, to meet their expectations and exceed them, and so. You know, we owe you a lot for the money of the people, people who trust us. And so we're just looking forward to it. I'm excited about death and taxes, and I really hope everybody else is too. We're about $13,000 right now and got about 10 yeah. days to go, which is the exciting part. And it's just. We're already in that position where you blew through your initial set of stretch goals and had to invent new ones, which is a yeah, wonderful I, spot to be in. No, it was because I had actually written two days in advance. I kind of had figured I had this thing down. I knew it. And so I had two days of updates ready, and I had all these images for sharing and for putting in updates and i went away for a half hour and i came back and i blew past all of them and uh, <laughs> it's got to feel good because i saw that happen to goodman games with their second box set too i mean after having done the first one they knew how to gear it they thought and then it exploded even further no and it it's it makes you feel good because we put a whole lot of effort in whisper and venom and we put a lot of effort in sentinel and the fur feather and it's nice to see people enjoy it but it's uh, sometimes it feels like, is it really me? Because that's, that's a significant amount of money for a guy who literally two years ago, I was sitting in an apartment in San Francisco. My, my wife was watching TV shows I couldn't drag any interest up for. I thought, 
I always want to write a module. I think I'll do that. And so, you know, because well, I me, did, mm-hmm, go ahead. Let me tell you a secret about Save or Die. We 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 have a two checklist checklist here at Save or Die to get our full endorsement. Is it Homes compatible? And is there a rumor table in it? Uh, Yeah. uh, Are you sure that's not just my checklist? Well, yeah, but but that's the secret. You you run the show, so your your checklist is all our checklist. Well, it's also about the rumor table because that's one of the reasons I made sure that it was it fit in the front because she mentioned I love them and John, my writing partner, he's like I don't see like just trust me like think of some strange situation and we can make it into a rumor and it just. We had we had thirty eight or forty of them when we did it. We had to come back <laughs> they because are it was fun good to time. Make. They are <laughs> so yeah. So we has those two things. So I guess thank you for the endorsement. I'll put on the web page. <laughs> I was going to ask if Death and Taxes was going to have a a certain Elizabeth who loves to spread rumors. Hey, I can't oh. be everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Her cousin Liz might be. You know, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Bethany, Liz, yeah, we'll find a you know yeah. Liz, 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 and Liz. <laughs> well, it was. It had to happen. I mean, it obviously, it had to be in there. So, because it did. Yeah, we thought it was great. Well, everybody loves Lloyd Metcalf's art, especially if you've had your hands on uh, Whisper and Venom. And Alyssa Faden is like the cartography queen of the entire universe. I agree. Um, <laughs> and that Axe yeah, Beak Mini. Oh, sorry. The what was it again? It's called a, a Red Coast. Yeah. Red Coast. Yeah. The Red Coast. <laughs> Axe Beak. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. And it's really, really funny about that is that. John Hamlin, my right partner, is not that familiar with the first edition rules and an axe beak. He thought he had come up with that independently. We were a bit looking at the South American terror birds, and I told him he did all this, and I pulled out a marshmallow one and said, oh, yeah, I like this. He was <laughs> angry. He was, he was viscerally mad. He's like, I can't believe it. I'm like, you're never going to come up with an original monster like this. But yeah. yeah, and Lloyd drew it up, and it, it just was like, yeah. And Nick Genovese said, I would like to sculpt it. I'm like, please. <laughs> yeah, we love it, too. Well, let's so. face it, a lot of the D&D monsters were stolen from literature and mythology to begin with, so, oh. you know. Yeah, but I can't use some of them because they claim it was IP, so I'm not going to tempt fate. Although, speaking of, will there be a certain gnome necromancer making a little cameo appearance in Death and Taxes? Um, yeah. It's funny because, uh, yes, in a very loose way, um Aristocrat in question who shows up and demands that people start paying their taxes uh, actually has a list of people who owe taxes. And you'd be surprised to find out that one of those people is a certain gnome necromancer. No. So, he skipped <laughs> out from not and didn't pay taxes? No way. I, he's a protest, tax protester. <laughs> Between that and evasion, I'm not sure, but no. Um, it's not all about, you know, Thopas is a great character and he will be in a lot of our stuff and his influence can be felt everywhere, right? He's everywhere and nowhere, but it's not a, a one. It's not a show about a gnome. He's a great. He's a great character to have. We, I like having someone to use in the art, but we want to make. Like I said, in order to make it utilitarian for people who buy it, is it's not right. What's, what's the next episode of the Thopus Adventure? No, it's about making the solid products that people want to use. So, but he'll make a little appearances here and there, especially if they're tawdry. So, <laughs> speaking of his appearances, I, I want to thank you for. Uh, having him put in his opinion on my victorious game on the Facebook page, I appreciate oh, that. You know, I actually, I I don't have a lot to, to say about what he thinks, but you know, hey, I had to post <laughs> it. Tell him I appreciate it, but yeah, he still can't his have my blood. His endorsement, his endorsement is invaluable. So he'll take that as you're in his debt now, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he still can't have my Bud Light though. <laughs> yeah. 
I have a question. The original Topus design was by Jeff D., right? Yes, it was. Are you pulling Jeff back in for any special jobs in Death and Taxes? Well, there's a yeah. well, perhaps. Yes, actually. Uh, by the time this is probably out, there's a John. And I based these on characters of ours, and Topus was his, which is to him it should be shameful, but is actually it was so fun that when we played the, the characters, um, I had another gnome that was my own, and Jeff did the uh, the uh, drawing for that one, and uh, he'll be revealed very soon, but. Uh, he doesn't. He's not as a. He's nowhere near as world-defining as uh, Topus is. He lacks <laughs> the evil intent, sexual perversion, and the overall greed. But uh, he makes up for it in Moxie. So no, but yeah, we have a, one more, and it's just basically our characters that we want to have as a kind of place there without being. They're not movers and shaker. Topus can be a mover and shaker, but he's not one you want to deal with. But they're just part of the a feel. It gives you like a feel to a setting, but it really. We try not to overdo it as much fun as we have with it because we want it to be your guys' setting and your guys' things because the most satisfying thing of the whole process is when people send me an email asking me, do you want a play report? I'm like, yes, I want a play report. And the weirdest stuff happens that's way better than we pictured. And so we, John's always uh, talking to me. Is this the best audience in the world to write for is got to be this one because they're educated. They love, you know, words and sophisticated wordplay and clever turns of phrase, but they also are very serious about in about everything because, you know, hey, we suffer through a lot of <clears throat> girl stuff early in the day. And <laughs> it, it's a you're you're writing we write better um knowing who the audience is, especially after this. And getting the feedback from everybody else to see how much they make it their own has just been it, it's kinda of doesn't feel like it's real. It kind of is like I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and have Wishman and Venom written in pencil in a book. So yeah. well, Speaking of audiences, I'm sure there are people listening that uh, weren't exposed to the first Kickstarter, Whisper and Venom, and haven't yet found this one until after they listen to the podcast. So let's go through like exactly what you're getting. Describe it physically. I mean, there's an adventure in a trade paperback that comes in a box with custom dice. At, I think at the $70 pledge level, you're getting custom dice, poster maps, miniatures, and you can add on a hardback. Have I got all that right? Uh, yeah, actually, one of the things about being me is I like to make sure that everybody can be accommodated. <laughs> um, yes, the basic set, of, there's a box set that comes with miniatures, the dice. Um, it's two books. One book is a, um, the adventure guide, like, you know, the kind of the module part. And then one's a, a smaller setting guide. The setting guide's regional and it's loose. It's not like, doesn't describe political ties and doesn't describe, well, this person has this disease. It gives you a few characters and stuff like that. <laughs> We tried real hard. To, uh, we were really pleased when you noticed when you did the review. The naming of the places was try to make it organic sound. Like if you lived there, you would call it that because that's near the bend yes. of the river, right? None of this. That was, Z- the Zoogie Bugulabug Swamp or something. <laughs> no. Named for the 15th uh, Hill Troll King of blah. Yeah, whatever. No Karamikios. <laughs> yeah. No, it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny because uh, John wanted to add that in when you did the last review. He's like, this falls of something, something. He's like, we had to write that down and make it in there. I'm like, no. but <laughs> the, <laughs> Just to the, see but, if Mike catches it and grouses. But, you know, we found that it's harder to do that than we initially planned because some names, they actually grow on you after you write them. And so some of the things are, they, become, they don't finalize until almost the very end. But it's so important that when you talk to somebody else who's played it, 
you don't stumble over the language, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. So, anyway, yeah, you box that, you the map, you get a, you're, in Death and Taxes, I expect to get to where you're also going to get a little map booklet so you don't have to constantly flip for the dungeon maps. You'll get a uh, monster cards because monster I Monster cards? Like you just got that stretch goal. I just did. And they'll have uh, f- friendly stats on the back and a Lloyd Metcalf illustration on the front. Um, there'll probably be uh, the temporary tattoos because I have a thousand of them still from last time. Um, <laughs> which they I were so popular everybody. we made more. See. No, the thing is I get pictures all the time. So Limited of, edition. Yeah. So, no, um, it's it designed to be as many options. We do make the hardcover because I want to sell them again, but boxes are very difficult to yeah, I would put, reprinting a box would be hard just to get to know how many to make because there's a minimum you have to make. And so the the book, the hardcover book, is for you know long term. But also because I like it, once again, um, make of an old school module version of it. And so Death and Taxes will have that. So okay, when you say custom dice, how are they custom? They have an attractive gnome profile on them. Really, really. Yeah, who the, who would that be, perchance? Well, this time it's somebody new, but yeah, it was Thopas. The same one I slap his picture on, and every time I send a package, I have a little – I slap a picture on it. And then uh, John got so angry he wanted a new picture for it because he said he's tired of seeing his character's face everywhere. So, um, <laughs> no, but it, it'll be the new dice with on the – on the Chess X makes them. I wanted to do custom on, like, all the sides, but I literally had to have my own Kickstarter to do it. Um, so the one and six is – the ones the, – the six side on one dice and the ten side on the ten side, those will be custom, but they will match – the chess that's nature dice, so... Yeah. Okay. Well, for any Philsteins out there who didn't get on board with Whisper and Venom, I want to just say that based on that, I'm expecting the equal to or, or better than production values. I mean, before you did Whisper and Venom, I'd say Astonishing Swordsman and Saucers of Hyperborea were the gold standard for a box set in terms of just production quality, but you smoked that. As good as that is, you smoked it with what you did. There was a, a boutique quality. So it's, I mean, those of us who are of a certain age are very nostalgic for the box sets, but this is like a whole order of magnitude better than anything from back in the day. Oh, I, oh my wow. gosh, yeah. Well, and thank you. The box <laughs> set size. You know, very reminiscent of the old Avalon Hill games that came in the big boxes, the big deep boxes. The bookcase games. Yeah, yeah. the bookcase type games. And it's that size of a box, and you had all this stuff in it. So it was just amazing. The scariest moment of my life was when I, everything was finally here to put together the first box before I would ship it. And like, I knew it fit mathematically. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I had to see it actually happen, and uh, it did, of course. Uh, but that uh, is—I think about that a whole lot more than I should, because you know, 250 is about the standard for a one order of a box for like our area. Maybe if it was a, a full game like uh, Stone Swords Horseman, I think 700 you could sell if you did it over five years. But so just in case you fudge it up a little bit in size, but I actually fudged up in size and it still was about a. About a third of a centimeter over on the uh, shoe top lid. So, <laughs> but yeah, I spent a lot of time worrying about these things. But I like it. I, I like box sets. I had them as a kid. I just loved them, beat them up. I have a shelf behind me now that has all the ones I currently have of, you know, from all Frank's box sets and all the. And I just love them because they, they feel to me like I'm a kid. I open them up and it's like a, a present. And so it, it takes a lot of extra work and expense, but I think it makes it justifies the other extras that go with it, though. 
I, I know something I definitely want to get out of you. Um, as as written, the first version is always uh, for classic fantasy role playing games, which means classic D and D, OD and D, easily adaptable to Labyrinth Lord or first edition AD and D. But then with Whisper and Venom, you went after a certain stretch goal level to a Pathfinder version. I thought I heard for Death and Taxes that you were not only considering doing Pathfinder, but maybe even a 5e version? Yeah, we was supposed to say it's for modern role-playing games. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yes, uh, definitely. I wasn't going to. Um, the 5e starter box and the download online, I was impressed enough with it that I thought that, you know, this is actually it had enough of a feel to where I could feel comfortable writing for it. As opposed, not that so much the rules, because like the Pathfinder, I um, Jeff Tadlock who's on Spellroom with you. I actually I hired him to do it because he knows Pathfinder. I would have been a fraud had I tried, but I was happy to pay him good money to make sure it was the best Pathfinder thing it could be, and it would probably be sound the same with Five E for us. I don't know what they're going to do. I, my suspicion is it's going to disappoint a lot of people, but it will also not be zero. The more games that get pl- played, period, the better. And I would like everybody to play lesser-known games, and I don't want anybody to, I don't know, I'd rather make another copy because my layout guy is me and I'm really cheap by the hour. <laughs> I'd rather make a new copy and have people enjoy it as it should than, uh, you know, keep it pigeonholed. all I could write for really is Holmes and Social Wizardry. I mean, personally, when I design the adventure, I can design it, but I wouldn't feel confident if I designed it and said, okay, I'm just going to do the conversion now for Pathfinder, conversion by Zach. Yeah, I would have to have somebody that I know lives, loves the game and plays the game in a way that it's supposed to be played. When I play Pathfinder, I get a little confused and I get a little overwhelmed, and that would not make for a good conversion. So it would be the same kind of thing. The more people who play our games anywhere is great, and I don't mind doing the conversions, to be honest with you. If anything, I get better at InDesign each time I do it. So You should run for office because you talked in a circle till I don't know whether you're doing a conversion <laughs> or not. Yeah, Nate, how about this? I try to avoid it so bad to tell you I want to. It de- depends on the funding. Okay. It's a definite maybe. Well, it's, uh, that's all, I mean, that's all I heard was that it was a possible version depending on how well the Kickstarter did, which that's I'm really fair, right? My, my, my fear is I, I promise that the Kickstarter ends on the 20-something of November, and then the next day there will be an announcement from Wizards of the Coast saying there will be no allowed commercial third party. And they're like, uh, I made all these promises, and they're going to come and get me with torches. So. So they don't have an, any kind of OGL for fifth. They talk around it like I just did, according to Jim. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have a actually the actual quote is like we're going to have a OGL solution. We're not sure what it's going to be yet, and we definitely want to encourage fans to make things, but we don't know when we're going to announce that. And it's like okay, so that's and we not can't give you any well, details. You, I mean, that's true. I mean, there was a Watsi guy up at Game Hole Con in Wisconsin who just said exactly that. Yes, we're going to do an OGL. No, we don't have it yet. But I know there's. I mean, maybe I'm phrasing the question incorrectly. There's there's definitely a way to just write a version of the game that is playable with. I mean, Goodman's already put out two. Yes, my opinion. Yes, and I think that we get the funding, we'll do it. Okay, I just. I hate to say it, and then the next day be contradicted. And people pledged, you know, two thousand dollars. We want it all five E. I'm like, uh, you know, I feel like I guess that's. I didn't mean to be cagey. I think so. There you go. So get out there and pledge. That's right. That's right. There now, are, as as of this recording, there are ten days to go left on this Kickstarter, and um, Wednesday, November nineteenth is when it shuts down. So get there. Pledge. 
do it. <laughs> I guess that's the t- my takeaway from what you said is if if there's an audience for it, we can make it happen. Yeah, and it really if it, it comes it. down to pay. I don't want to pay the people I work with. I don't. Nobody that I work with for any of this is not paid. I want to make sure I have the money to pay them fair and not not compromise what we're already going to sell. So bless you. <laughs> I, if only more people in the industry felt that way. I, I can testify to that. Full disclosure: I do some web work for Zach, and he's he's one of the guys. There's a there's so you're a plant. <laughs> Zach, do you know I don't about pay the, him that much? Do, Zach, do you know about <laughs> do you know about the SAS? The British, the British Air Service? No, no, the Secret Artist oh. Society. No, see, I should know that it, kind of stuff. It's though, a secret. I? <laughs> I shouldn't talk about it because it's a secret. <laughs> L- Lloyd... Don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> well, anyway, the the point of that organization is we we trade information on who's good to work for, and you're like high on the list. How's that? Well, good things. I have to quit paying Lloyd if you didn't put me high on the list. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate it. It matters a lot to me because a lot of as a writer, and I do the publishing work. I don't see how much work Lloyd does. I'm like two days later, I get a picture. But I, I know when he came to visit me one time, he worked for like nine hours on something I asked for that I then thought nothing of it for the next nine hours as I did something else. That's a lot of work to do what, for what I'm asking for, not his own art, for I'm wanting him to do for me. So I'm going to pay him. So uh, hopefully as much as he deserves. So Cool. Well, and you pass it right back to the people buying the games from Lesser Known because, I mean, the $70 pledge level for what you're getting is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of stuff in that box. You know, it's just really funny because when we got nominated for the Any Award, um, some of the feedback I heard in the forums was like, you're, we're not here, you're here pimping ridiculously, ridiculously priced box sets. And I, wanted to, I almost want to say like, well, actually, <laughs> if you cost it out, it's not really that ridiculously priced. But um, – yeah, the seventy dollar pledge level gets you most of the stretch goals. I mean, it doesn't get you the gigantic minis, but you know, all of the other ones, it looks like, would fall under that seventy dollar tier. And yeah, it, they do. For, and when you adjust for inflation, I mean, you take mm-hmm. the prices of some of the stuff we bought in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, you multiply it by three, three point five, and that's you know. That really works out to around that cost. I mean, uh, the average Avalon Hill game was about twenty bucks, so you know that's seventy bucks right there, and you didn't get minis. <laughs> you know, you're right, and I just it's you know I know it makes I think you feel like it's worth it is that when I was sending out the Whisper and Venom boxes for the Kickstarter, they weighed in at about four pounds three ounces, and to me that's a pretty uh, Pound for pound, that's not bad for the dollars. Cheaper than steak, right? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but there are there are there are people. Not most of them, but there are gamers out there that will flip out over a book costing twenty dollars. You can't. Well, yeah, or, I mean, you can't that, order a pizza for Papa John's hardly for under twenty dollars. Which is why gamers, I make a valuable interactive PDF of the same mm-hmm. stuff. They can buy interactive PDF lessernome.com because everybody has a chance to play our stuff. No, well, they can't too. <laughs> if they want. Oh, I thought you were giving an interactive pizza for. <laughs> Oh well, I would be all rich pizzas, then. all pizzas interactive. You eat it, <laughs> no, might. but online interactive. That, that's a future stretch goal. <laughs> oh, okay. Or another Kickstarter altogether. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But yeah, I mean, most gamers tend to be cheap. As a gamer myself, I admit it. But you know, like you say, if I didn't say most, well, I said some. I'll say most. <laughs> most of my acquaintance, you know, we tend to, you know, 
it's like I got into a debate once with somebody we're talking about how, you know, well, you know, we it's not like when we were back in the day. And I'm like, yes and no. I mean, we have more disposable income than we did when we were teenagers. On the other hand, I think we're pickier, too, at where we put that money. And I think Lesser Gnome has consistently, so far, and I have no reason to think it's going to change, provides a lot of quality and a lot of stuff for what you're paying. You know, and I appreciate that. And my usual answer is to who I'm making it for. I'm making it for me. When I got the OSR not that really that long ago, I wanted to buy a box set. And I always wanted to buy an adventure that had minis, too, because I could never find the minis I needed. And I liked monster cards, and I wanted those, too. And it was basically it was my checklist of everything I wanted in the box. And I thought, I can't be the only person feeling this way. So Heck no. that's the gauge I used, yeah. So, And like I said on the okay. show, like I said on our review show of Whisper and Venom, it's like, you know, with this box set, all you need is a rules set. And, and you can download Lord. that online or something, and you're ready to go. You got it everything. Was an add-on, it was an add-on in the Kickstarter. You can get your Labyrinth Lord rules in the same place. Dan well, Proctor was very kind and about that. that what's so. awesome, yeah. Zach, is you just articulated the exact difference between an artist and a corporation. I mean, doing what you're doing as an artist, you can do that. A corporation is incapable of producing an end product that meets the same specs. Because they don't, they, they're a corporation. They can't do the game they want to, always wanted to have. By committee, anything you once you do something by committee that's more than four, <laughs> like John and I will argue incessantly about little things, but at the end we know it's for the common purpose. But once you have everybody else's interests are fighting over it, it loses whatever whatever it had originally. So, yeah, we try hard to uh, maintain it. Who's going to get it, and how much do we like it, and then we can send it out. So, well, thank you for being on the show, sir. No, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Wow. We, we appreciate you being with us. I remember, what was it, three Gary Cons ago when you were just in the beginning stages of this and we're sitting outside smoking talking about it. You're, you're in the beginning stages of this and I was just at the point where I think maybe I could pitch something to Goodman Games. Maybe. Was it just three years ago? Two and a half? It was, it was about two and a half, I think, yes. I, it was, where y'all are now. Yeah, thousands and thousands and hours and thousands of dollars later. <laughs> yep. No, <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> A lot of gray life. hair later. <laughs> yeah. No, but this is the best thing I've been involved in, in in my life in terms of the quality people that I meet and the kind of interactions I get to have with other adults because it's just been it's just been awesome the whole thing. So I can't wait to do it again. So join the Kickstarter. I'll treat you really good. Thank you very much. You heard it here, folks. Now that go was, right now. That was any nominated Zach Glazer. There you go. And Liz, are we headed down a road? I think maybe we should be headed down that lonely, lonely road as we tearfully say goodbye to Zach and we have to go our separate lonely ways. And Mike, how will you be going down that road? I will be walking down the road holding in my arms every copy of the Dresden Files novels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and throwing them, hitting Jim in the back of the head for his snarky comment about Dresden Files on Spellburn number 30. Oh, you listen to our show. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you also kind of pimped Spellburn number 30. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, hey, see, I get two things done at once. That's efficiency. Huh. And oh, and Jim? bah. <laughs> 
How will you be going down that road? I'm going down the road looking for any quest that will get me more gold because between the tax man and death and taxes and playing poker with Topus, I'm broke. <laughs> and I and I need 70 bucks to pledge. <laughs> well, maybe you can sell some of these copies of the Dresden Files I'm throwing at you. No, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> or you can burn them in your campfire and keep warm at night. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> They're burning Shakespeare to stay warm. <laughs> Zach, how will you be going down the road? I'll be going down the road carrying Jim's gold to deposit in Thobus's giant bank. Ah. <laughs> Catching. <laughs> and you, Liz? I will be going down that road riding a not an axe beak. <laughs> yeah. Raycos. Yes. <laughs> And everyone will be admiring the beautiful plumage that it has, but they won't be able to have it for themselves. <laughs> ha ha. All right. I'll spread a rumor about it. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're out of here. Goodbye. Right, th- thank you. Thank- thanks, everybody. See ya. <laughs> Freeark.org. <laughs> <laughs> is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Die theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at MississippiBones.Bandcamp.com. Special guest of the Saber Die podcast appeared in this episode, courtesy of a charm person spell, purchased at exorbitant prices from a lawful evil gnome. We're broke now, but it was worth it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.